<laughs> Dang, that's crazy. Alright, welcome to your church friends podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yurdla. Dang, that's crazy. What? <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, talking before the show got on about just communicating with people, I guess, and how people listen to each other when people are telling stories. And, and you were talking about how like you kind of sometimes as you hear someone think about, oh, is that something I'm doing or? Oh, yeah, I'm just introspective because yeah. I've messed up so hard in life and thought that I'm right that when I hear other people talking about other people messing up, I tend to run a self-diagnostic and go, is that existent in me? Yeah. And when you were talking about it, I was and, and telling me this, I just couldn't figure it out because I had no idea. Like, it didn't make sense to me that that's something people do. And then I shared as I was kind of rambling through, like I do most of the time on this show anyways, just rambling through what I'm trying to actually say. Like, I know what I'm thinking, but how does it come out to words that make sense to others? Communication is hard. It really is. But the thing I was trying to get to was that when people are talking, I'm generally thinking, like, how do I appropriately respond to them? Because... Unfortunately, I have this part inside of me that is like uninterested, but I know I should be interested in what people are saying. I should be like a normal human and function in that way. So most of the time I'm thinking like, is, oh, that's cool, too too over the top or like, oh, that's nice. Is that not enough? So I'm trying to figure out how to gauge this so they don't know that I'm not as interested as the story that they're telling me and they think that's really interesting. And then you brought up a TikTok thing that was where, how do you know someone's not interested? Oh, yeah. Basically, if your story's over or it should have been over and somebody just keeps going, dang, that's crazy. That's the response that, yeah. The story's over. So that's why I started off the show with, dang, that's crazy. Because we started off the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we're starting today. Hey, how was your week? It was good. It was packed as usual, but good stuff. Yeah. How was your week? (laughs) Pretty good, too. It was busy. It was way busier than I like. A few uh, stuff that I had to get done around the house. Our dryer went out on us on Sunday. So I had my father-in-law come over to check it out because I'm not a handyman. I don't know what I'm doing. And it was funny. He came over and he was like, so what have you done to see what's wrong with it? I was like, I kicked it and it didn't work. So I'm figuring it's really broken if I kicked it and it didn't work. That's what I like about older stuff is that you can just smack it and somehow that does enough sometimes. Yeah, so then he's like fiddling with things and he, he unplugged it and he was like, maybe it's the power source. And he, he went to go move it to another um, power switch thing that we have in the house or in the garage. And he went to go move it. And I was like, oh, no, no, I did that. I went to, I, I did that at least. And he's like, kind of looked at me and rolled his eyes like, you I said you didn't. Yes. So then he fiddled with it. We found out our, we have a switch that was broken, $7 repair. He showed me how to, re, how to put it back on. So fixed that. Got a leak going on in the kid's bathroom seat. It's, it's like the smallest drip ever, but I cannot figure out how to get it to stop but i watched a, a drip bubble just it's just stood on that pipe that's now puttied because i put some of the plumber's putty on there for like 20 minutes it didn't move it didn't drop down it's just sitting there so i don't know how much it's actually dripping but at this point i've kind of given into it and let it win dang that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be the whole podcast yeah. this whole episode no it's whenever people ask me about not to completely yes that happened in your week thanks um, for listening and caring about my week yeah i did but now i'm gonna talk about myself for a second no when people ask me oh how was your week or what did you do it just reminds me of uh in the office remember robert california yes there's one point and he says something like have you ever just lived so vividly that your brain just can't hold on to what happened. <laughs> Obviously, he's talking about going a bit wild, but I just feel like 
there is so much in my life that from day to day, my brain just isn't, what did you do this week? It's like, when did this week start? How, what of all of those things happened within that week? It's like, you need to sit down and decompress in order to answer that question. So generally, yeah, it was busy. A lot of good things happened. A lot of everything happened. Yeah. So that's where if, if you, when you ever, you ask me that question, I'm just like, yes, with that blank stare. <laughs> I'm going backwards in time. What is a week? What did I do? What was life? I actually disliked Robert California so much the first time I watched The Office, but I'm the Lizard King. For some of you uh, people who listen to us and are younger than me, I didn't have it on Netflix to binge watch. I had to watch it live when it came on. I don't even think DVRs were a thing yet. Like Thursday nights, I had to be home to watch The Office. So when he, his character came on and it was right after Michael Scott, everyone loves Michael Scott, and this guy shows up, you had a whole week to just not like him. But then I rewatched it with Justine about a year ago. And we were just not going to watch after that. But I was like, hey, let's just give it a shot. Maybe it's not as bad as we remember. Watching those seasons after he left, Steve Carell, they actually weren't that bad. No, once they go to Florida, it's all bad. It wasn't that bad to me because it was, if that episode was bad, the next one could be better and squash out that one quicker. It wasn't a whole week of like, oh my gosh, this show is just terrible. All I'm going to say is it could have been Jim Carrey, but he had to go to the Poconos to be with his family. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, too much Wait, office stuff. Anyways, what are we here for? We're talking about villains. Yeah. Apparently, I'm Robert like, California, the villain of the he, office. He was Ultron, so he was a villain. <laughs> uh, and apparently, I'm a conversation villain because all I'm thinking about is how is the proper way to respond to people. But I'm trying to be nice. Anyways, villains, we are looking at today probably the biggest villain in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I made the pun. I did it. Uh, the biggest villain in the Bible, Goliath. Yeah. Tell me about Goliath. Give me some history about Goliath first, because this dude comes into the scene, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and all, all we know is he's a, he's a giant of a Philistine. Yeah, right. 1 Samuel 17, 4, then a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, right? And we'd come in just like, cool, who is this guy? And then leading into the story from there, you, you find out just in situationally who he is. But yeah, some history on him. How far back do you want me to go? As far back as time will allow us. Don't geek out on me, but give okay. some good history. As far back. So we're in 1 Samuel 17. We'll go back to Genesis Okay. for the beginnings. Yeah, let's just go to the start. Yeah. Genesis chapter 6. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times on the show, but Genesis chapter 6, we have the situation where it talks about that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took them as wives whenever they chose. And the offspring from the sons of God coming into the daughters of men were called Nephilim. They were these hybrid, heavenly, humanly creatures, Nephilim giants. And if you were to read something like First Enoch, they were some bad guys. There was a whole lot of bad stuff going on there. But that's not in Genesis 6. We just get, here's the beginning of these Nephilim, of these giants. They were even said these were like those great men of renown of old, like these just big champion type guys. So that's Genesis chapter 6. But we see, we don't really see it in Genesis 6. You get it more in First Enoch to where these guys were opposed to God. We have the sons of God left where they were supposed to be. They opposed their ruling that God gave them and came in and in an act of disobedience did something bad. And then the offspring from that just continued down that bad path. Nephilim don't really pop up again after that because, hey, the flood came. You don't really hear about them, except some of them either survived or some of the sons of God did it again because in Numbers 13, this is when Moses had led everybody through the wilderness. They go to check out the promised land and they send in the 12 spies. So the 12 come back and they have these reports. This is in Numbers 13, verses 32, 33. 
It says, so they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had spied out. The land we explored devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw there were great in stature. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we must have seen the same to them. So again, here's these Nephilim, these giants, descendants of Anak, the Anakim, which then brings us to, here we are in 1 Samuel 17, in the promised land. So from the time of those spies, which Joshua was one of them, which he eventually went in and started leading the conquest in the promised land. Am I still good on time? Yeah. Is anybody still listening? <laughs> Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> you heard that a few times already. <laughs> yeah. But no, Joshua, who is one of the two spies that gave a good report when it's finally his turn to go in with the younger Israelites now, and they go in and they start conquering the land, the directions there, because this is kind of a thing where people look at the Old Testament and go, there was mass genocide. God wanted them to go in and wipe out all the inhabitants of Canaan. That's not actually it. If you were to look at a map and if you look at the people groups in the cities, they were specifically going in and targeting the giant clans. So the Anakim, which I mentioned, the Rephaim, and occasionally the Amorites. So all of those, if you've ever read those, like they're related with giant clans. So they come in, but even through Joshua, they never fully drove out and conquered everybody there, which brings us to the point of David that some of those giant clans and when they spread out and they got into, they ended up in the Philistines. So here we have David. He's at this battle point against a Philistine army, and one of their champions is Goliath, one of these giants. So when we look at who is Goliath, there's this long-standing thing going back to Genesis that has, again, some interaction with the unseen realm coming in of these enemies towards God, these enemies towards God's people that, whether through the flood or through the conquest, they were to be driven out and squashed out and eliminated. And here we have some of the last vestiges of these giants, and we see that they're still at it. And we're going to see that in the story of just who Goliath is and how he opposes God, how he opposes the God's people. It's one and the same of what's been happening the whole time. So to place Goliath, because we don't know really who is his family, who is this, who is that, this is who he's a part of as these mm. giants. We tend to think, oh yeah, Goliath the giant is not just, oh, he was a tall guy. It's that's what the giants are in the Bible. I know that's a bit miraculous and unusual if you've never considered it, but so is the whole Bible, right? Right. <laughs> and what I like about what we're doing here is uh, giving the history before we get into the story because the history, it flushes out the story more. It gives more of a depth to it. It gives more of a background to it. We now get into 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're there, right? So it starts off with the Philistines are at war, or they get their army to rage war against the Israelites, and they come to meet them, and they, the, the Israelites come out to meet them, and so they're set up basically in this valley, right? Yeah, so basically you have a lot of the Israelites are up in the mountainous regions in those cities that are a bit more fortified, and then there was this way to come in to try and take over that, but in order to come there, you had coming over one hill, so you had yeah one army on one side, the other on the other side, and you wouldn't really want to be the first one to go down, because in order to get to the other army, you had to go down into the valley and then fight coming uphill, and you lose the advantage, so right. they're kind of squared off. You're uphill, Anakin. <laughs> That's all that made me think of, is Star Wars reference, sorry everyone but get the upper ground yeah the higher ground i've got the higher ground you won't win Anakin. and in his anger and never mind go watch star wars one don't actually it's bad well that was what the third one just watch that one it's all right anyways so goliath shows up right so we got israelites on one hill philistines on the other hill the bible goes on in 17 it says that 
Goliath comes down and Goliath, again, we're talking about giants. So how big was Goliath? And from what I found, he was over nine feet tall. So that's massive. I think even the, some people want to say he was close to 10 feet. The tallest person recorded was eight feet tall. So this is one of those interesting things that goes into textual criticism and looking at different manuscripts and whatnot. So trying not to geek out on things because this is a point of how big was Goliath. You have manuscripts coming from what's called the Masoretic text, and those ones put him at however many cubits in a span, which comes mm -hmm. out to nine foot nine. But then you have the manuscripts coming from the Septuagint and then what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and those put him at about six foot nine. And technically, those manuscripts date older. The Masoretic text is a newer one, so generally people want to go with the older sources, which would put him more at six foot nine, which he'd still be a giant because even a tall Israelite was five foot five. So he was head and shoulders above them. Now we generally also come to Goliath being nine foot whatever, because the King James was based on the Masoretic text. So in English translations, we've been dealing with that one for a very long time. So just differences. Either way, he was a giant. Just if anybody, if you're reading a translation, you might have nine foot something, you might have six foot something. It just comes from down to two different manuscripts, and you can study into that to get what that is. I didn't want to um actually that you're wrong. It's just there's two different things to look at there. Either, Either way, way, he's a giant, and he's he's massive. I mean, six foot nine is still huge, especially if you're five foot five, and ten foot almost is really huge. And and then you get into his armor. He had armor on that weighed like somewhere between 175 pounds to 200 pounds. The head of his spear, and this is what I found interesting, just the head of his spear was 15 to 20 pounds. Like, most people can't carry 15 to 20 pounds, like, just picking up. Like, that's a two-armed thing for some people. That was the head of his spear. That's yeah, crazy. An, an iron spear tip that yeah. was, like, 15 pounds. And then on top of that, the rod that was, it was attached to was another 15 pounds. So dude is chucking a javelin that's 30 pounds. Yeah, that's going to do some damage. And that's huge. And, and uh, the Bible says his shield was the size of a human. Like the shield that protected him was the size of a, a human. And knowing that the Israelites were roughly around five foot five is awesome to me because I would have been norm average height or a little bit taller than an Israelite. So that's great for me. But he comes out, this massive amount of man whatever you want to say size, height-wise, or everything, this massive amount of man comes out, and he issues a challenge. And he says, I want you guys pick one of your best warriors, and they come and fight against me. And, and I will, whoever wins, it's a winner-take-all. You guys win. If I get defeated, you win. If I, get defeat, if I defeat you guys, I win. But it's winner-take-all challenge. And when the Israelites heard this, they all were afraid and trembled, and they were, they were petrified of this. And, and it's interesting because I read somewhere, too, where and we're going to get to Saul, and I think I'm going to throw this in there too as we talk about him, but King Saul should have been the guy who stepped up to fight Goliath, but instead he was like, no, I'm not going to do that either. Yeah, and this was a type of warfare that was common back then to have um, singular combat to kind of represent the two armies. So again, what we see in the Bible is common throughout history, what, what's happening there, but yeah, Saul should have been the one. He was the king, he was the leader. Also, if you look at the descriptor, it kind of says that Saul stood like ahead above everybody else. Saul yeah. was a big guy. Like, send out your big guy versus our big guy. He's the leader. Come out there. Uh, but no, Saul was not doing that. And you had Goliath going out there just talking smack to Saul, talking smack about God. Like, he was just going out there. and Yeah, I found it interesting, too, when I was reading it again 
uh, I realized in my Bible when I read it the last time that I made a little note that Goliath actually calls them the servants of Saul. Aren't you the servants of Saul? And it just made me sit for a second because I'm like, that's weird, you know, like that they would be, and, and it makes sense because he's the king. But whenever I heard the Israelites, it's always, you know, the servants of God or something like that. But yeah, he, he's, they're known as his servants. Dude, why aren't you stepping up to go out and fight him? But Goliath does this for 40 days. He just comes out every day and issues a challenge. Every day he comes out for 40 days and he does this. And that's the thing. So we've looked at different villains. So we've had kings and we've had sons and we have different people. But here's just a warrior, just a bad dude coming out. You mentioned some of the stuff about his armor. I studied into that a bit, a bit differently. And some of the stuff was it was from all over the region. So he had stuff from like Egypt, he had stuff from Greece, he had stuff from like all over, and it just shows what kind of a warrior he was. He was like collecting the best of the best, and he had all these things, and like dude is stepping out, but what just a warrior, he's stepping out, just, I don't care, send your army, send your best guy, send whatever. He's obviously seen so much victory and just been able to go out there and squash anybody. He's talking, he's doing it for 40 days, and I think that he was not afraid. I think he was going out there just... I know who I am, and it doesn't matter who you send. And you got to think, too, when we look at giants, and there's a lot of, we'll get into it down the road of, like, what giants represents. But just Goliath, this man, day one, you go out there, and you're like, send your best man, me versus him. And whoever wins, it's winner takes all. Whoever wins, wins. And then no one shows up. They're afraid of me. That's what this giant of a man thinks. They're Mm -hmm. afraid of me. Day two, yeah, they're afraid of me. By day 40, I know you're afraid of me at this time point. I'm just punking you guys out. Like, who's going to show up? Who's going to step up to me? Because I know you're all afraid. None of you are worthy to come up and, and fight me. And it does work the other way is that each day by day, they are becoming more right. and more yeah, afraid. Yeah, that's where I was headed at is they were getting more and more afraid. And, and uh, I'll skip to this part a little bit right now. Then, like, when we think about things in our lives, when we just don't fight them the right way with God on our side, they become more intimidating our fear starts really kicking in. And this was Goliath. I mean, if, what a warrior strategy, right? I mean, it was crazy just to think, no, none of our soldiers will get lost, so we won't lose number in this thing. I've beaten enough people as is that I'm pretty confident in myself that whoever they have to come at me, I'm going to beat him. That it's just intimidating to, to the Israelites. Yes, no wonder why they're afraid. This guy's coming out there and saying this over and over and over again. Yeah, so he does that challenge. Then verse 10, he says, Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man to fight. He wants to fight. And to tie that into what you were just saying about things that approach us in our life, challenges in life don't come at you softly. (laughs) Yeah. They don't come without the real full force of a challenge that need that kind of response. It's kind of funny when I think about it in my own life. A lot of the times when I say stuff or when I do something, people will tell me that, well, you just always think that you're right or there's this or there's that. Like, I'm not going to say it that way if I don't think that I'm right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go about my life, one, trying to do the best that I can with as much knowledge and wisdom and doing the right thing as I can. And when I do it, I'm not going to do it half-heartedly like, oh, yeah, I don't really know about it. It's like, if if you go to decide to do it, you got to do it. And... I just really see that, like, like you were saying, is it an enemy towards you, an enemy towards God coming and challenging you in that way? How do you respond? Because if you don't respond immediately with God, you know, in his way, it's like the defeat already sets in. Yeah. Like by not responding, 
you're already showing like, oh, I don't think I can overcome this. I don't think I can have victory there. This thing is too big. It's too hard. It's too scary. It's too whatever. I don't know. I'm getting into a little bit of the preaching yeah, stuff we'll over there. Yeah, we'll get a little bit into the application point. I wanted to touch on something else before we moved on is that how do we respond part? Because I think that's important when we face a challenge in our life. I, I think a lot of us have the tendency to go to what do I do about this situation, right? What am I going to do to change it? How do I fix this? What, what can I do? So Remy, she carries some of my anxiety issues. And as a, a little nine-year-old girl, she hasn't learned to process all them properly. How do I handle this? How do I attack some of this? So she's been having some worries about going to her new school that she's a part of because we took her out of her old school just to make it easier with Reed going to the same school. Long story, she's going to a new school after a year and a half of not even going to school because of the pandemic. And now she's going to a new school and has to make new friends. And so her anxiety started kicking up. And some days I could see it. She's, she's making excuses or something overtakes her. And she just, that's the way she's going to approach it because she doesn't want to go to school. And the other day she was saying something and I said, Remy, have you prayed about it yet? And she was like, no. I was like, go pray. Go pray to God to help you with this. Again, we've talked about on the show what God likes to do to me at the wrong times in my life is then kind of hit me with conviction or at hit the right me. times yeah. in your life. He, he then wants to, maybe it's the only time I'm listening, but he hit me with, Chris, you go through so many things. You're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. You've got all this stuff that's stressing your brain and it looks mountainous and it looks like a big old giant in your life. You're not praying about it. You're not seeking me about it. So Kind of putting it into that applicational point is like, well, how do we respond as Christians? Honestly, if your first response is not prayer, you're not going about it the right way. Like prayer should always be where we start off everything. Back into it, so then we'll go into our break, unless you want to say something. I'll just say this part real quick, and then I think you can still get to the next part of the story, because it was in response to what you were just saying. And what we see here, Goliath as somebody who is opposing God, somebody who's opposing God's people, opposing God's king, opposing literally the army, the people who are trained to do it, and all of them are scared. I really think when I see either in my life or in this world that we live in is that there are enemies to God. There are wicked and evil people and schemes and things that have been set up that honestly we, we might look around and be expecting that God's army is standing up and should be doing the fight and should be whatever, and we see that they're not doing it. And how long have they not been doing it? And it can create this defeatist attitude, mm. even within Christians that, well, why aren't people standing up in that area? Why aren't we seeing real movement or action over here in whatever area that is? And then we get kind of lumped into that. Well, I'm one of these soldiers. How am I going to respond? Even if nobody else is around me, because that Goliath is looking for one dude to fight him, right? That's what the enemy's looking for. He's like, hey, one to one, let's do this. And I think that this is where we can lead into the next part. That's of a really good point, too. And, and what I like about it, too, is, I mean, just from knowing people right now and talking to people, there, do, there does seem to be a feeling of almost defeatedness within Christianity at the present time with the way the world is kind of headed and with the way America is headed, some of the things that are getting allowed in our country, some of the things that are happening. But, like, our attack plan should be that prayer. Like, that's where we come at it. Pray, pray, pray. And if we could just be that one person praying, then we're that one person going toe-to-toe with this giant. And that's fine because God's going to see that and honor that. But it does spark things. You know, one person praying turns into two people praying, turns into three people praying. I feel like we get so caught up in trying to handle stuff that's of the world, like the world, protesting, posting things, saying things. 
that we're not really handling it the way God instructed us to in prayer. Come before me. Let me take care of this. I, I just got done reading about Elijah and his servant. Not Elijah, Elisha. And an army was coming to get Elijah because he kept on telling the king of Israel what was happening, what the king was saying. So they were constantly countering everything. And so the the obviously this king is like, this dude is giving them what I'm going to do. I need to take this guy out. And they came out at an army to the city he was at. And Elisha's servant was like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. And Elisha was like, no. And he prayed, God opened his eyes so he could see. And when he opened his eyes, there was the, the chariots on fire and the armies of heaven were right there with him. And I think for us, if we could just pray before we get into anything else, God open our eyes and see your actual army fighting with us. Man, that's going to make a huge difference. But that was a tangent of a long story to get us into here shows up the dude who, who changes it all. And we'll get into the break, but it's David. David shows up and he looks at Goliath and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So we'll talk more about that when we come back. Welcome back from that commercial break. We'll continue with our top stories. We enter day 40, the standoff between the Philistine champion Goliath and the Israelites. But before we jump into that, let's go over Remy for the weather. Hey Casey, so it's looking like it's going to be another seven days of unprecedented heat wave, with temperatures reaching as high as 125 degrees in some areas. It's going to be hot with no rain. Gotta cut you off there, Emmy, as there's breaking news happening now on the battlefield. Let's jump over to our guy there, Reed on the street, to see what's going on. Casey, out of nowhere, a challenger has stepped forward to face Goliath. It looks like David, the son of Jesse. I can barely hear what's going on, but I believe Goliath is cursing David by his gods. David is replying back, saying the battle is the Lord's. Oh wait, they're charging at each other. Boom! David's stone just nailed Goliath right in the head. David has Goliath's sword now, and oh no, oh no, it just got gruesome. I don't think we can air what just happened, but it does seem to be a great victory for the Israelites today. Well, that's all the time we have. For Remy and Reed, I'm Casey with YCF Kids News. Wow, what an exciting broadcast. I'd really like to see our dads try to follow that. <laughs> hey, guys, are we still live? Oh, gee. We are back with part two after that short news break, and you just dropped the bomb of that insult. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? And that's David coming onto the scene. And I know we're going to tell a little bit about David and his interactions here, but this isn't a podcast about David. There are so many sermons, so many different things about David. We're looking at the villain here, but with every villain, there's also... The there. hero. Yeah, also the hero. So we got to bring that into the thing, which I'm glad that there's the hero, right? right we yeah. are still Christians. We're not just trying to glorify the villain. But yeah, tell us a bit about David and what's going First on. First of all, it is probably one of my favorite lines in the Bible. It, up there with, and I think I mentioned it on the Samson episode where Samson said, if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, plowed with my heifer which is just the insulting language behind it. Sometimes insults don't have to be understood to be mean but like this one like who is this uncircumcised philistine like if somebody told me that today on the streets i'm like what'd you say right? <laughs> i don't know what you said but what did you say i don't understand <laughs> this completely because i don't understand first what a philistine is and i don't uncircumcised like why are you coming at me like that you don't even know what's going on but well why he's just like 
he's not even part of God's people. Who are your God's people, right? Right. That, so that was David's response to him, and that's what that insult meant, is he's not even part of God's people. Like, look at this guy. He's just an uncircumcised Philistine. I almost kind of think, and maybe it's not right, but it was almost like, who's this monkey? You know, like, he's, he's not part of anything. But anyways, he comes in, he, he says that, and then he, they tell him, like, so basically, if you, anyone defeats him, this is what King Saul will give him. So he says, you know what, I'll do it. So he goes up to King Saul. King Saul says, how are you going to do this? And he was like, look, I've been beating up bears and lions, protecting my dad's sheep. This guy is no different than them. So Saul tries to put him in his armor. David's wearing it. It doesn't fit. And again, I'm running through a lot of this because this isn't about David. This is about Goliath. I just want to put out when you just said, here's what Saul will give the person. It was the man who kills him, the king will give great riches, and he'll give him his daughter in marriage, and exempt his father's house, meaning everybody within the family, from taxation in Israel. Yeah. So you get rich, you get the girl, and there's no taxes, and nobody stood up to that challenge. Well, they probably knew his daughter, and they're like, ah, uh, because that ended up being an issue for David down the road. So, <laughs> But again, we'll talk about that maybe on another podcast. They're like, her? Oh, the tax thing sounds great, but... That, can we change that? Can I have that daughter instead? That would be a better deal for me. <laughs> I was not expecting that response. <laughs> but anyway, so David goes, he puts on the armor. It doesn't fit him. It, it, he just doesn't feel right in it. He takes it off. He grabs five smooth stones. He walks down to the valley. They're here and Goliath are walking down. And here we have it. The stage is set. It's Royal Rumble time. It's Class of Champions. It's Rally in the Valley time. And we're here. Rally in the Valley. Rally in the Valley. David goes, Goliath comes at him. Oh, no, before they go at him, before they go at each other, they do some trash talking. I I love watching UFC stuff when the two fighters are, you know, Bruce Buffer's doing his thing and announcing them, and you can see the two fighters are kind of staring each other down or or when it's the um, touch gloves moment and when it's two fighters who just have animosity towards each other. You can see them just talking trash at each other at that moment still, and they're going back and forth, and you can see, like, oh, that's what's up. You know they're not touching gloves. David and Goliath are not touching gloves here, and they're doing that, like, kind of get ready for it. And Goliath looks at David, and he just despised him. The Bible uses that word despised, and and to me, that's such a heavy word, like, loathe him. Like, I don't like anything about you. And really, we could look at it for him being young, but I really think it was like, this is what you're coming at? He even says it, am I a dog that you throw this stick at me? Like, he was upset that David was his challenger. Looking at all the Israelites— this dude shows up. Yeah, and then right after it says, and it says the Philistine cursed David by his gods, right? So not only is he talking trash to him, but then he goes, oh yeah, your god, like whatever that is, no, by my gods, this, and just starts cursing him by his gods. Again, bringing in that this isn't just happening in the physical realm of things. Everything back here, it's so much in the unseen realm. When Goliath is coming out with the Philistine gods and all that, he's going to say, no, my god is greater than your god. And that's where we see David's response is saying, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's his gods? What are you talking about? No, that's not what it is. So here we have the confrontation of Goliath, mountain of a man with all of his gods and all of his everything. And David, little shepherd boy, full confidence in Yahweh. Just doesn't even matter. And I really like that you brought that up too, the spiritual aspect of it, that like, here's all of my gods and my forces and he cursed them by his gods. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit when we get down the road with the story, but I really like that because, yeah, David's sitting there hearing this guy just jaw-jabber him and, and talk all this trash. And 
David then says, like, come at me, bro. Like, my God is bigger than yours. The God of Israel, he's got my back. I'm not worried about you. And again, I don't want to get into too much of David, but it's such a, we're looking at a people who were afraid of a giant because they were robbed of their confidence. And here's David confident of his God and robbing the giant of its confidence because of what God's already done in his life. I still just want to keep going because this is about the Philistine. He says, Cursed by his God and says, Come here, he called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. He's like, I'm going to rip you apart. Like, come over here. Yeah, he's just, I mean, the trash talking game level for Goliath is pretty, pretty good there. But they, they rush towards each other, and here we go, the battle set. They rush towards each other. David grabs a stone, he puts it in his sling, he twirls it around, and he throws it. It launches. It hits Goliath right in the forehead. I mean, it nails him in the forehead. The Bible is so cool when it gets into visuals sometimes. Like, the stone sank into his forehead. Imagine something hitting you so hard that it went into your forehead. And, and I remember growing up in children's school when we would color this, like this little, David's little slings. They would always give you like these little pebbles. And people would say like, it was this little small rock. But when I started looking at some research, people were like, this stone could have been the size of a tennis ball. Like, this thing was bigger than we thought, and it just went straight into his head, and, and it went there, and it sunk in. Then David, the conqueror, the giant slayer, gets Goliath's sword, and he cuts off Goliath's head. And then the Israelites chase the Philistines back to Gath, which I thought was cool because Gath is Goliath's hometown. Yeah. They chase the enemy back to the giant's hometown, and they won, and they're victorious. But the interesting part to me when I was reading this was, I went back to 1 Samuel chapter 5. The Ark of the Covenant's been taken, and the Philistines have it, and they have it in their temple, and they put it in front of Dagon, their god. Right, right, right. And then when they come the next day, where's he at? He's bowed before the Ark of the Covenant. So then they put it back up again, and they lift up their god, and then the next day it comes out, and I think like some limbs are missing from him. They put it back up, and then the next day his head is off. And down on the floor. And I thought, what a, what a follow-up beautiful representation, right? This, this enemy and their gods. And here Goliath was cursing David by his God, but his God was already defeated God. God had already defeated his God when the Ark of the Covenant in the same fashion, in the same sense. And it, even when he was saying that, it reminded me of, of what God told Abraham, you know, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who are curse you, I will curse. This was kind of like a thing that was followed through through the Israelites in their lifetime. And you see it right there. Like, here's this enemy. Here's this giant. Here's this guy coming at God, basically just an enemy of God, right? That's why I thought that history was so important because when you looked at the giants of things, they are the enemies of God. They're coming at it. They're attacking it. And God's showing us that, like, here, here's this now, this defeated giant. I've already taken care of the spiritual battle. Now the physical battle is taken care of. Yeah, that was a good follow-up with the spiritual side that God already has gone out and fought in the spiritual realm and then our interactions with him. He's going out before us. The scripture talks about that he goes out be like before us like a banner. He goes out to win the victory. But we also, we interact with him here on the physical realm and he's calling us to enter into that victory as well, which we see David doing. And yeah, going back to even just those descriptions of, oh, here's, David, this little shepherd boy, and he's picking up his stones and he's doing the thing. Have you ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell? No. He's a bit of a storyteller, nerdy kind of guy. He does a lot of research and he, he just, he's written a few really popular books, bestseller type things, but he has a thing on David and Goliath and he brings up some details about this. And back in ancient warfare, 
you have hand-to-hand combat, you have the chariots, and then you have projectiles, which is archers and then the slingshots. And these slingshots, they were known to be able to knock a bird out of the air, the accuracy with these things. And we know that David was doing this because he was out in the fields protecting the sheep and doing it. And Malcolm Gladwell in his breakdown of this was saying that with swinging it, you could get it to go like six or seven times a second in swinging. And when you were to release one of these, it had the projectile force of a 45. Oh, wow. Yeah. And especially, he did some research even into that valley, and that the rocks there, when you're saying it's not just some little pebble, the rocks in this valley have twice the density of normal rocks. So the dude got rocked. Like, yeah. it's just like, no wonder it <laughs> no sank into his head. Yeah. But no wonder it sank in. But yeah. you have, so even there, looking at David again, not to make it about him, but when he's, oh, put on the armor and do the thing, go down and do hand to hand combat, which is what Goliath would have been expecting. David's saying, no, I know who I am. And I'm going to use the tools and whatever that I know that I'm comfortable with to take down this giant. Yeah, I just wanted to give that that little bit to it because it's not how we grew up, the little slingshots yeah, that you pull yeah. back the thing you do. It was a proper weapon of war and the everything that came along with it. It was basically like you have your sharpshooters in the army or whatever. That's kind of what David was. David sniped him. Yeah. That's he didn't really even cool. get close enough. Yeah, that's really cool. I really like that that uh, whole breakdown of it because when you think about that, like Goliath didn't have a chance, and here was this arrogant conqueror. He didn't even get to take a swing. Who defeated so many people and has uh, the same scare tactic, right? If I'm I'm trying to think of like how do we, what's his villainous character? Like he is fear. He is I am the presence of fear in your life and of de- defeat <laughs> and defeat. Yeah, he's he's all of it. And would ta- was taken out without even, like you said, throwing a weapon or a swipe and kind of just getting into like the representation of Goliath because there's not much more we could say about Goliath after this point. Like yeah, speculation the, after that. Yeah, yeah, the dude's dead. Like his head got cut off. Before going further, because I brought up Malcolm Gladwell, if you watch that thing on YouTube, he gets into some explanations about like, oh, the giantism came from like a pituitary gland thing, kind of like Andre the Giant, yeah, different yeah. stuff, and brings in some interesting things that as far as a natural human being a giant would kind of struggle through. I'm going to still take the stance that there is more something spiritual and supernatural to his giantism. So if you watch it, just keep that in mind. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is not a biblical scholar or anything, but he does bring out some cool facts. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to put that asterisk on that story. So we we have it like here's our giant. And, you know, it's interesting growing up in church, like Goliath was always presented as like big problems, right? Like you mm. can conquer your big problems, which I, I like that application. I'm not going to try to knock it. I think it's a good one for us to have. We, we talked about it. Like how do you how do you approach the giant? You pray. There's application right there, right? How do we approach these things in our lives? And again, looking at Goliath, what did he bring? He brought fear to people. He brought defeat to people. And we all face and that. death. Yeah. We all face that, right? Like, I've, there are things that I fear. There are things that I'm afraid of. There are things that, that I feel defeated in. You know, we, we, we do our podcast, and this is amazing. We get to come out here and talk and, and do what we do, but... I think I brought it up on one of the other episodes about my jealousy issue. And if I don't see what I'm doing succeeding at the same rate of someone else, I get jealous. But then I feel what really that does to me is it creates me feeling defeated. And that's a giant in, in my life. It's not an actual issue or thing. It's just a feeling of defeatedness brings you down and brings you low. So how do you conquer that prayer? And then, yeah, we could get into big issues that we're all facing where, where we all are facing maybe a loss of a job. There's a death in the family, somebody's sick, 
you know, these are real life issues. So to, to negate that kind of applicational teaching, I just don't want to do that. I think it's great and it's there for a purpose and a reason. And I think, yeah, the, the proper response is how to do this, pray and bring God with you. When David went up to battle against Goliath, he wasn't going alone. He said, I am coming at you with the God of Israel. My God is with me. And I think that's, that's how we take out those kind of things in our lives. I like how that's always your first response throughout so many of our conversations is that, hey, however we're handling things, we need to start with prayer. And sometimes it ends with prayer, right? That's where it starts. That's where it ends. And you're just able to go forth from that point. But then I see that some, it goes beyond that too, to, you know, sometimes you have to take action. Sometimes you're able to just give it to God and let it go and do that. But what we see here with David is he has the full confidence in God, but then he also needs to go into the valley and like mm-hmm. go to war against the thing. And how you were saying, like, I don't know. I don't know any Nephilim running around. Mm-hmm. I'm not part of those battles, right? That's not what's happening here. But when we come to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and following, it's a well-known passage. It says, For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience as soon as your obedience is complete. So, right, bring it into that thing of what are the giants? Right here it's saying that the strongholds, man, that's in our thoughts. That's in our minds. And the divine power, the divine weapon that's there is to get in and conquer things on that level. So, yeah, it's a pretty well-known, I don't want to call it a trope, but just within preaching that, oh, who are the giants? Let's go face the giants. But really, that is the giants when it comes down to what is the fear? What is the defeat? What's you know, all wrapped up in that, that's in a stronghold. That's a huge enemy that is a spiritual battle. Even looking at Goliath as having a spiritual side, like it's a spiritual enemy and that prayer coming in is a huge thing and being aware of what our thoughts are. Like you said, it's just a thought. Oh, I'm jealous. Oh, I feel defeated. What is that? And the victory that we're able to have through the spirit in that But then even when we go out into the world and we're interacting with people, there's nobody alive on this earth who is an enemy to me. Like they might be taken captive by different ideologies and spiritual things and thoughts and different stuff that would make them oppose me and different hurts and whatever. But the war that I'm called into is go and love that person, pray for them, bless them, and try to free them from that captivity that would bring them to the point of wanting to see me harmed, right? So that's even the warfare that's happening there. Now, I'm not a military guy or part of a military family. I know that different things actually come to real conflict. And at that point, if somebody's pointing a gun at you from across a field, you don't really have time to go over and like, you know, so that's a different conversation. And I don't want to extend what I'm talking about fully to that because I I don't know that through experience. You know, it's funny you brought that all up too, because that Elisha story I was talking about that I just read today, when the the servant's eyes were opened up they he saw god's army with them and then the army came down to attack him and elisha said to god he prayed god now cause them to go blind and then they were blind and once the israelites saw that they were blind they surrounded them and they captured them then elisha prayed again had their eyes opened up they saw they were captured and they took him in and the king of israel said what should we do with them these are our enemies what should we do should we kill them all what should we do and he said it twice i think it's either what should we do twice or should we kill them twice so he's asking him, like, what should we do? And Elisha says, no, feed them, give them something to drink, and let them go home. 
And so the king of Israel threw a big old feast. They all ate. All these, the enemies, they're feeding their enemies. He fed them, supplied them with something to drink, and sent them home. And then it said, and then the Israelites were at peace with this army ever since afterwards. And, and it's interesting to bring up our enemies because, yeah, how do we approach them? Love them. That's what Jesus says. Love them. Pray for them. Feed them. Give them something to drink. And it changes the whole game of everything. And, and even moving to what you're saying about Goliath, the fear thing, I, I kind of was thinking about the, the drip issue that I have at the house. It's a small little drip. I've been fighting with this thing for three days. I can't get it to stop. I've put a flex seal. The flex seal thing didn't work. I've put caulking around it. I've put all this other stuff around it. I've been tightening it and tightening it, and it's not working. Did you try putting a proper plumber on it? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I put the plumber's putty on it. I did some other stuff. I got Gorilla Glue, a Gorilla Glue sealant, and it's not working. It's, not, it's still just this littlest of drip, right? And the giant doesn't always start off the giant, is my point. Mm -hmm. It could just be this small little drip. But every day, for 40 days, Goliath was just this presence. And maybe that's where the differences come into where it's actually he was six foot nine, but by the other manuscript, he's 10 foot something. Because to one person watching this battle, he just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And every day, this dude just kept growing and growing and growing for 40 days coming out there. And that's what fear does to us in our life. And the same thing with that small little drip. It's a small thing. But if I don't put a proper plumber on it, like you said, <laughs> and just let it go, I'm going to have some damage done to that structure that it's in and, and the whole thing. And eventually it's going to cause some real issues in my life. So we need to approach these things properly. Don't let that little fear become this big old massive monster in your life. Yeah, and to use that to really bring it back to Goliath, right? Because we're looking at him. Dude was a beast. Couldn't have been a better warrior. Couldn't have defeated more people. Full confidence in being able to defeat anybody that the Israelites sent down. Talking smack the whole time. And I don't know, just for me, epitomizes that one-to-one -one challenge that we face. When we look at some of the other villains that are like, oh, a king and the different power that's there and the power of a nation like Nebuchadnezzar, Herod and the different stuff like that. That's a different thing. But this is just a, hey, I'm calling you out to come down here and fight me. I hear what you're saying. It can start small and then grow from there. And I think that sin can do that too. If you look at James, right? It says it starts with everybody, you have that own your own temptation, that own desire, and then it starts to grow. And then it actually gives birth and then you have sin. It starts with that desire and that thought. So yeah, definitely take care of things when they're small. But I would say I'm pretty confident that, at least for myself and most people that I know, and I would think most people who are listening, is that there's already that Goliath who's standing down in the valley who has already established himself that, hey, I'm against you. I'm against your God. There's no way that you can defeat me. I'm not going away. If you try to, you'll lose, and then I'll overtake. So the best thing you can do is stay where you are mm. and don't make a move. So that for me, that's just a thing for myself when studying through this is I'm just looking at, dang, I need to have more faith in God that just if he's calling me to the thing, if it's truly, there's a lot of things we can just go off and do on our own. It's just like, good luck with that one. But when it's a direction that God's put in your life, there's like, no, here's an enemy to me for what I want to do in the world and through you in the world, then to find the confidence that David had, 
Like, no, it's not about me. It's about God. And if he's sending me down into the valley, it's not because he wants me to lose. But I really think that, again, going back to looking at Christianity as a whole, maybe we're all looking around saying, hey, why isn't the church standing up to these different things? Or in my community standing up to these things? Or, you know, whatever that is, and looking around going, yeah, that Goliath is definitely out there causing a ruckus. And he is big, and he is mean, and he is bad. And maybe you've seen a lot of different people and organizations go up and try and take the thing out, right? We can look at all kinds of different social issues that a whole lot of people tried to make a difference and not succeeded in. But if God's given you that conviction and that vision, then I just want to give the encouragement to to move forward. Dallas Willard said this, just to kind of go at your point, and then I'm going to go off another point you had there. He said, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done the best they could, no doubt, but this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and their spiritual character and power. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. And I just kind of, when you said that, it, it, I didn't have this in my original notes. It just sparked in my head because I had seen it earlier. Dallas always says my words so much better than I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you should just read his books here. That should be our podcast, the <laughs> Dallas Willard Podcast. But going even to what you were saying about Goliath and this representation and the one thing that we all face is sin. And I think we've said it here before on the show. Like when you look at the Bible, there's Jesus is written throughout everything. He is on every page, every sentence, and everything. And in this moment, this story right here, Deliath, what's unconquerable? What can I not defeat? What can I not do on my own? I can't defeat sin. That's in my life. As we saw with Cain, it's the crouching at my door every moment type thing. What did I need? I needed, I needed Jesus. David is the representation of Jesus. He comes in and he conquers what I couldn't conquer. And he knocks out the giant in our life. And the biggest giant in there. And that's such a cool story. I love that that's the way, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, this David and Goliath story just gets way better and better. But one of the other things I started noticing is that for a lot of us, the biggest thing about our Goliaths a lot of times is, is doubt. It's unbelief. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes to our idea, this idea of like it's sin, Goliath is our sin. Would God can't forgive me of everything I've done. Can God really forgive me of this? Can God forgive me of that? And Jesus is down there being David with his sling going, I've already done it, and throws it and hits the sin and conquered it. He's already done it. He's already forgiven us of it. We just need to come back to the Father and take it that way. But it's, it's our doubt and it's our unbelief. And I had this quote from uh, John Calvin. He said, since no man is excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is open to all. There is nothing else to hinder us from entering but our own unbelief. And the biggest giant some of us face from having the best relationship with God that we can is an unbelief that God can do what God's already done. David and Goliath, the story of it, was already told in 1 Samuel chapter 5. God already did it. He already conquered their God and their, the enemy of them. He cut off the head. And here we get into this, and God saying, one more time, I'll show you the picture of what I can do to the enemies in your life. And no bigger enemy is your sin. So if anyone who's listening out there, if you're thinking God can't forgive you, if you think that what you've done is too far or too extreme, it's not. God can and has and already done it all. And, and you can come to him and ask for forgiveness and move forward in that new life and move forward in a new relationship with him. But even me as a Christian, like there are things that I doubt. There are things that I struggle with and I have 
what some people call unbelief. And those things will be obstacles in my life until I go to the Father and He shows me otherwise. And to bring that, that what God has already done and to be able to trust Him in it and to bring this back. And it's so hard to not make this about David. Right. <laughs> like at a certain point, it's just like, all right, we've talked about Goliath and yeah, he's the enemy and, you know, he's big, he's bad and all that stuff. When looking at what God has already done and being able to come into relation with him and then face what it is that we're facing, everything that we just read right now was in 1 Samuel 17, as far as David facing Goliath. Literally the chapter before 1 Samuel 16, that's when the prophet comes, seeks out who's going to be the next king. And he finds David, the little shepherd boy that his dad didn't even think him worthy to come and invite him to, you know, the selection process. And the prophet anoints him with the oil and that the spirit of God at that point, how does it word it? The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So we have that David has this experience with God to where the spirit of the Lord comes on him. And then the next chapter, you have him going out and David's fully confident in God, you know, in the power of the spirit and everything else and it's not even about like oh i know that i'm going to be king and it's that kind of thing is no we know who god is yeah and so that's the thing as christians we've not just been anointed with the power of the spirit the spirit of god dwells inside of us the very same spirit that resurrected jesus from the dead lives inside of us and to come to that point of god is with us fully we see here that with david spirit of god comes on then he goes out and fights the battle Right. And in our lives, it's that it's just being able to go, no, God is with me. He's already accomplished his things, whether it's forgiveness or whether it's power, whatever it is. God is a good father. He's a good God who wants good things. Sometimes he'll send us into some situations that like through it, we go, well, this is scary or this is whatever. And maybe even there's risk of injury or death. We see that throughout history. But that when we're confident in God and that he's sending us out and we know that that's what we should be doing then yeah, go out into the field and conquer Goliath. At that point, I don't know, just connecting that of the anointing of the spirit and then going and fighting the giant. And when we're facing these giants, it's the anointing always had to do with the spirit. So to come in and you kept saying, start with prayer, start with prayer, reconnect with God, be filled with the spirit. And it's Romans 7 that kind of goes through that whole battle of, oh man, I know that I want to follow God, but I keep doing what's wrong. Mm -hmm. I keep getting defeated. I keep doing whatever I'm going to do. And it's like, walk in the spirit by the power of the spirit put to the, the flesh so yeah it's god wins the the victory and he's inviting us into that i went around in so many different ways i hope that, that made no, sense yeah. my first time was 16 now roman 7 but no i got yeah. you with all of that and what i liked was uh the go into battle with the right things and yeah i keep mentioning prayer but like i said that's the start point go into battle with prayer start there start at the starting of prayer that was what david did when he took off the armor he's like this isn't me I've got to do what I know is right, and here's these stones, and this is what I do. This is the equipment God's already given me. And I, I like that verse you read in, I think it was Corinthians, that was weapons of warfare. We have ours. Prayer is the first one to go into it, and it, it conquers it all. Again, because I, I know some pastors or preachers, they, they really don't like using that literal, like, David is giants in your life type thing anymore. They want to get into the, the deeper of that it's sin and all this other stuff. But David went into that battle against Goliath, full confidence in his Savior. No fear, like everyone else. All the Israelites, afraid, because fear was standing in front of them. David went into that full confidence because of what God's already done. If we look at Goliath as sin and that, God, and that Jesus has already come and conquered it, then that's us. If we look back at it, what's the biggest thing God's done for us? He's taken away my sins. He's taken away the things I'm going to do 
that I have done that I'm thinking about doing. All of it. Then when those giants of life situation come at us, well, we could have confidence because, well, my God's taking away the biggest issue I'll ever face. This thing is nothing compared to it. And I could go into this battle with the right weapons and tools to fight it and conquer it. So I really like that. I got all of that from what you were saying. That was me summing up <laughs> yeah. what you just said. Yeah, you, you just brought up that a lot of pastors don't want to do like, oh, the giants are this in your life or this in your life. No, the giant was a literal giant yeah. named Goliath. And the there dude. was real battle and death. Like it was battle, battle. We bring it to the point of, well, what does this represent? Like, No, what really happened if you really want to look at it? is David went out there and killed somebody. That's where I brought up the thing earlier about military and all that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't have that experience. And we have we can sit in the comfort of our studio in, in America with relative safety and stuff. And you're like, let's look at like some of the underlying spiritual truths of stuff. But throughout so much of Israel's history, is like, no, look, they're in literal battle. And that's what they're going through. But to bring it from that point of literal battle and just building off of what we've been saying is Ephesians 6. When we're looking at David not being able to put on Saul's armor, I think that we should look at putting on the armor that God does give us for battle. So 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I just love that it lays it out there. It's like, this is what's going on, and this is who we're against. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness arrayed, with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. So for me, that sums up so much of it. And just, I don't really have so much else to say. I don't know if you're like, no, we have 20 minutes left in the half. I don't think we do. But to kind of sum it up is, I think that we all find ourselves in a role of David and we got to go out and fight a Goliath. And this is the armor that we have and the tools that we have and the sword that we have is the word of God. So if you want to go decapitate a giant, pick up the word of God and (laughs) do it in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Dang, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) I've been sitting on that for a while. I was like, should I wrap it up? But no, I like what he just said. I want to say something, but. You're going to dang that's crazy to Ephesians 6. Well, I'm more to you than oh, anything else. All right. Ephesians 6 is awesome. But yeah, that's it. That's all we got. <laughs> that's all Murdoch's got. So I am Chris. I'm your... <laughs> we are your church friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>